Good morning. It's nice to see you here with us this morning. Those of you worshiping online, it's good to have you with us too. So many of you know who I am, but some of you don't. So I thought I would just let you know a little bit about me. My name is Jasper Rains, and I am the pastor of Family Ministries here. Just started about three weeks ago. And uh, my family is originally from St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, We moved here about three years ago for my wife's new job. And God has brought us to the Hammock family, and we're very, very excited about that. We're really um, looking forward to see what God will do um, in the ministries here with our children and our youth and the way that God will use our family as part of that. I have a wife whose name is Kendra and a son who's Jackson, and we are really very excited to be here with you today. One of the things I want to ask is, do we have any people here who love to play cards? Do any of you love to play cards? Okay. Um, So let me tell you a little bit about my family. In my growing up, when we played cards at our house, that may have been the occasional game of Uno or Old Maid, or if we got really crazy, we'd play some Go Fish. And that was really all that we had. Well, then um, I never learned much about cards, but I married into a family of card sharks. Uh, Kendra's mother will say of her many times that she cut her teeth on a deck of cards. So you can imagine what it was like for me with no knowledge at all to come into a family like that. And one of the things that they liked to do together, a card game that they liked to play, was bridge. And if you know anything about bridge, you know that it could take you a lifetime to learn about bridge. All I knew at that point is when I was a kid and I would look at the funny papers in the newspaper, there would be like a bridge hand that you had to figure out. And it all, I never understood it and never wanted to do anything with it. So... I remember the first time the family invited me, and really in the last time, the family invited me to play bridge with them. And they pass out the cards. They all know what they're doing. This is really what they do when they're together for fun. And I just looked at these cards that were dealt to me, and I'm like, oh, I have no idea what to do. And if you ever played bridge, you realize there are four people playing, but only three can play as well. But the fourth person has a special name, and that's the dummy. Every game, every hand, I got to be the dummy, (laughs) which, you know, didn't invoke me with tons and tons of confidence when they would say, oh, yeah, Jasper, you're the dummy again. But I would look at those cards, and I would be like, I do feel like the dummy. I don't know what to do here. And they would play and have a good time. And again, that happened once, and they decided I was a lost cause. But have you ever thought about how in life we're dealt some cards, and sometimes we don't know what to do with those? We're going to look at that a little bit deeper today. We're going to start off watching this video together. Have you ever thought about the cards that you've been dealt? Have you ever taken the time to examine your life as if it were a hand of cards? For many of you, you would look at the hand that you've been dealt and go, I've been given a great hand. I don't want to change a thing. And still there are others. You would look at a few of your cards and you would go, these are the hard and bitter cards. 
It's as if we would say, if I could just trade in these cards, my life would be so much better. But that's just it. You can't trade in the cards that you've been dealt. These are your cards, whether you like the way they feel or not. It's interesting. The people that we want validation from, people we want to like us, the people we want to impress, we hide these uglier cards behind the more noble, significant, prettier cards. These are the cards that we want people to see. These are the cards that we've based so much our identity on. It's human nature, I guess. But deep down, we know the cards that we've been dealt. There's no escape in it. It's who we are. We can't reshuffle the deck. We can't trade any of them in. It's in our DNA. It's in our makeup. The truth is, you are all in. But what if we stopped? What if we stopped and just took some time to look at the hands that we've been dealt? Is it coincidence? Or is it just life? Or is it God? The argument would be, why would an all-knowing, all-loving God give me this deck of cards? If he really loved me, why these cards? And these are the cards of pain, of chaos, of guilt, of hurts, of hang-ups, of habits. And amongst this deck, for some of you, there are some really cruel cards. Cards of rejection. Depression, addiction, abuse, and the card that none of us can escape from. But if we were to stop and think back, oh, there are some great cards in this deck. Like when you were a little kid and the first time that you made your dad laugh and he laughed so wholeheartedly, that was a great card. That was a great day. The first time you tied your shoes. Your first kiss. When you graduated college and nobody said that you could do it. The first time that you used your gifts and talents and someone looked at you and you knew they meant it and said, you are good at this. And the first time you stood up for yourself. These are the pretty cards. These are the ones that we move to the front of the deck. It's a sad truth, but we really care what other people think of us. And these are the cards that we reuse. We relive. We reshuffle because we care for validation from other people. But what does God think? What if God were to take a look at all our cards? Which ones would he choose? More than likely, they would not be the prettier, significant cards, but they would be an array of both good and bad cards. So you see, he wants to use the most heart-wrenching cards as much as he wants to use the cards that have brought you peace and joy. Don't discount the fact that God wants to use the most difficult cards because these cards have brought blessings and they have given us the greatest learning lessons of life. To God, these aren't a bunch of good and bad cards. To God, they're just cards. And if we surrender, we can see the hand that we've been dealt. It can give God glory. It can remind us that it's not our story, but his story. And if we're really still, we can even catch a glimpse of heaven. So the question is, Aren't you tired of pretending to deal with your deck of cards? 
Aren't you wore out trying to hide behind some of the more glamorous cards? Doesn't it shortchange God with the story of our life? To him, you have been given the greatest hand that you could ever imagine. And for me, I'm all in. I'll play the hand that I've been dealt. So over uh, the next um, few weeks, or the next two weeks, we are going to um, be in a series that we're calling Ordinary Me. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times I feel pretty ordinary. I look at my life and I have uh, ordinary intelligence, superior good looks, but that's beside the point. Um, Ordinary family an ordinary car. My life is just pretty ordinary. And what I want us in these next couple of weeks to unpack and think about is to think about how God looks at us and sees the ordinary and then uses that ordinariness for his good. Um, we think about how this is reflected already in the Bible. And we go back and we think about the people God chose to use. Think about David, who David was just this kid tending some sheep. And God said, I know he's the least, but he's the one I want. And he goes on to be the greatest king Israel ever had. Or look at Elijah. Elijah was ordinary, but he was a prophet. And a prophet that wasn't very popular because he said what God really wanted the people to hear. And he ended up falling into deep, deep depression. But God used him to show the people where the Israelites were living with at that point that there was one true God, and it was the God that he served. Then we think about Peter, and I don't know about you, but when I go back and I look at all of the characters in the Bible, a lot of times I find myself feeling the most connection with Peter. Always stuck his foot in his mouth. He always was quick to say the right thing. And we look at him, and he is a mess. I mean, we're talking about a grown man who got scared into telling a lie by a teenage girl. And then God uses him, and he preaches the very first evangelistic sermon where thousands of people come to know Christ. He was just an ordinary fisherman. God used him that way. Now, I know when I look at my ordinary life, I think that I've been dealt some pretty ordinary cards. And I think there are times in our lives that every one of us step back and look and look at the cards that we've been dealt and think, God, why? I don't understand this. I don't understand why I'm the one that you chose to give this set of cards to. 
I just don't get it. I know I have. I know that when life has been difficult, I have stopped and I've been like, Lord, I'm, I'm trying to do what you want me to do. I'm serving you. I'm, I'm spending my time with you. Why in the world, out of nowhere, would you deal me this particular card at this particular time? And we kind of stop and say, God, looking at this hand, how can anything good come from this at all? Well, I think there were lots of people in the Bible who thought that as well and had those kind of thoughts. But today we're going to focus in on one character who took the cards that he had been dealt and looked at them and said, okay, God, I'm going to play this hand and I'm going to play it to the fullest. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 50, and we'll start at verse 14 in just a moment. So we're going to look at the Old Testament character of Joseph. And if you know anything about him at all, and if you don't, I'll let you know some things. He was born into a family where he was the second to the youngest and the father's favorite. And he knew it, and all of his brothers knew it as well. And he would often come and tell them things that he saw in dreams, and his interpretation of that dream basically boiled down to, someday I'm going to be the big guy and you're going to be underneath me. And so the brothers were not too happy with what Joseph was saying. And I kind of get the idea of like, let's go beyond it, but he was probably like the annoying little brother you know, that always had to bring up being dad's favorite and always bringing up these dreams. And so one day, those brothers get enough of it, and they decide they're going to kill him. But after a series of events, they just end up throwing him into the bottom of a pit and then selling him into slavery. So um, that's the way his life started out. And so let's look at the cards that Joseph was dealt. His brothers hated him, threatened to kill him, threw him in a ditch to die, and then sold him into slavery. While in slavery, having rejected the advances of Potiphar's wife, he was falsely accused and convicted of rape and was thrown into prison. In prison, he was forgotten by the cupbearer who promised to help secure his release. He was hated, mistreated, abused, falsely accused, and lied about, treated unfairly, and overlooked. That is not a good hand of cards. And I think that I would be pretty disappointed with God if those were my cards. But I think uh, that Joseph had every reason in the world to be upset with God, every reason in the world to not understand what God was doing, every reason in the world to dwell in hopelessness. But that's not exactly what happened. Let's look together. What ends up happening kind of in the middle here um, is that Joseph ends up, through a series of events, becoming the second most powerful person in Egypt. And we'll look at that in just a second. Uh, so much so that his brothers have to come and beg him for help. And he fools with their minds a little bit, but eventually tells them who he is. 
and he's able to see his father Jacob before he dies. And where we're going to pick up today is after all of that has happened and the brothers are a little bit scared about what Joseph may do now that the dad's out of the picture. So if you look at me with me here in verse 21, it says, sorry. Um, so then, uh, I'm very, very sorry. It says, after burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But now their father was dead. Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin is treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sins. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and they threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by kind, speaking kindly to them. So Jacob's dead. The brothers are scared. They come up again with a scheme. These were some scheming boys. And they said, we're going to tell him that dad said, be good to us. And when Joseph reads the message that was sent to him, he's, he's just overwhelmed. He's just, and he goes to them and says, I'm not God. God worked all of this out for good. And so Joseph knew that there was a bigger picture in play. So let's look at how God used the cards that were dealt to Joseph to bring glory to him. Had Joseph been, Joseph had not been Jacob's favorite and so gifted by God, his brothers wouldn't have been jealous. Had Joseph not been sold into slavery, he would never have ended up in Egypt. Had Joseph not ended up in Egypt, he would have never gained distinction in Potiphar's house. Had he not gained distinction in Potiphar's house, he would never have been falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. Had he not been falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, he would never have ended up in jail. This still sounds like a really, really bad hand. But had Joseph not ended up in jail, he would never have interpreted the cupbearer's dream. Had he not interpreted the cupbearer's dream, he would never have been called upon to interpret Pharaoh's dream. Had he not interpreted Pharaoh's dream, Egypt would never have been prepared for the coming famine. Had Egypt not been prepared for the coming famine, many in Egypt would have died, and so would Joseph and all of his brothers. And had Joseph and his brothers died, there would be no Israel, and thus there would be no Messiah. So those cards that Joseph dealt, as bad as they sounded and as hard as they sounded, were all part of this bigger picture of God's plan, of what he would do to redeem his people. And 
he used these things to bring glory to himself. And what Joseph saw was that God did have this bigger picture in play. He understood that those circumstances that were really difficult were going to work out in God's big plan. One of the things I think that we really struggle with is looking at life as it's all about us. And the truth is, it's really God's story. And we are just playing some minor roles in God's story that brings all of this big picture together. And the things that are dealt to us and the circumstances that come across in our life are 100% part of the bigger picture of bringing glory to Jesus. And as we look at that and we start to look through those eyes, we start to see our cards kind of in a different light and say, God, I don't understand this hand right now, but I know there's a bigger picture at play, which is what... which is what Joseph saw. And we know we have that promise because God tells us when we acknowledge the bigger picture that everything's gonna work out well. And we see that in Romans 8, 28 and 29 that says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Joseph got that big picture. Now, for me, I'm kind of an instant gratification kind of guy. I may have been known to say more than once, is there anything faster than a microwave? Because I want things quickly. One of the things I don't understand about people are puzzle people. I don't know how many of you are puzzle people, but because I'm so anxious to get to the next thing, I haven't really completed a puzzle since they were wood and there were six pieces. But do you know that there are people who buy puzzles, 1,000, 5,000 pieces, and the box is blank? And they have to just figure out what it it could be a lighthouse, it could be a dog, it could be a whirlwind. They don't know, but they find joy in putting the pieces of that puzzle together until they can see the bigger picture. And I think that that's kind of the way Joseph was seeing things. He knew there were all these pieces of the puzzle, and he couldn't see what it was going to be like at the end. But he knew God knew what was on that box and what that puzzle would be. And I think that's sometimes where we kind of falter in life a bit because we look and say, God, I don't know why this is happening right now. I don't get it. I'm overwhelmed by it. And we don't stop to think that God has promised us in verses like Romans 8, 28, that it's all gonna be okay. I'm working in this moment I am putting the pieces of the puzzle together because there is a bigger picture in play. Uh, The guy who wrote Faith of Our Fathers, the hymn, his name was F.W. Faber. I like the way he saw this concept. God's will does not come to us in the whole, but in fragments and generally in small fragments. And I think that's been the way I've seen God work in my life that he wants us to trust in him. And so he gives us a little bit at a time. And we start to put those pieces of the puzzle together. 
He wants us to trust him. And to trust him, I think, again, taking from Joseph's playbook, we need to acknowledge the bigger purpose. We need to say there is not only a bigger picture that is coming, but a reason for why the picture is coming this way. So if you look at the Joseph story, five chapters ahead of what we just read, he kind of says the same things to his brothers. And he says this, so then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. So he looks back at being shoved into that ditch and eventually being sold into slavery And now that he has a grasp on the bigger picture, he starts to see the bigger purpose. And he says, it wasn't you who did those things to me. It was God's plan that did those things to me. And his purpose was for me to be at this place, at this time, to be able to save tons and tons of people, including you. And so... Joseph had a handle on this. He was saying, God, I realize you've dealt me these cards, and I know there's a bigger picture, but I know not only is that picture there for us to look at, but there's a purpose in what you're doing in my life. And we don't have to understand the purpose. We just have to trust in the purpose. That's what God calls for us to do. And I think that in order for us to really grasp on to that purpose, you drop your mic, Um, you have to be at a point where, I'm going to have to grab one of these, Um, okay, there was a purpose for that happening, Um, so um, as we are um, looking for that purpose, I think it's important that we say that purpose audibly, out loud, so that we can hear it and other people can hear it. So I told you a little bit about my family. I have a wife, Kendra, whose family played a lot of cards. And I have a son, Jackson, who uh, this is a picture of him from many moons ago. Um, And in this picture, he was about four years old, and we're getting ready for church. Now, If you have children or have had children, you know that getting ready for church is an ordeal. Like, whoever wrote that Commodore song, Easy Like Sunday Morning, (laughs) he'd never tried to get a kid ready to go to church. So, as uh, I think back to that time with Jackson, we would tell him, and we lived in St. Louis, so pretend with me that it's winter in St. Louis, And we would say, okay, Jackson, we're getting ready to go. You need to put on your shoes, put on your coat, turn out the light in your room, and come here. And so he would scurry off, and we would be doing the other things we needed to do to get ready. And I would go into his room, and most often I would find him with Legos or a book, shoes off, lights on, coat nowhere to be found. And I would say, Jackson. You need to get your shoes on, your coat on, and you need to turn out the light. We've got to go. And I would step away. I was not very bright. And I would do what I needed to do, come back. And what would I find? 
I would find Jackson with a book or Legos, no shoes, no coat, the light's still on. So eventually I thought, maybe this will help. And I brought him over to me and I said, look me in the eye and repeat after me. I need to put on my shoes. And he would say, I need to put on my shoes. I need to put on my coat. I need to put on my coat. And I need to turn the light out in my room. And I need to turn the light out in my room. And then I would say, because when all that's done, we get to go to church. And so after he had repeated it, it stuck with him. He remembered it. And he also learned what the purpose of all those things were that we needed to do. And we would be able to leave and go to church. And I would love to tell you after one time I figured it out, but that's not really what happened. Um, But um, really speaking, what God is telling you and the things that he's asking you to do and the promises that he made, saying those things out loud, I think are really, really important. That you need to, in those times when you're looking at your deck of cards and saying, God, I don't get it. This is hard. You you just put me in a season of depression or a season where things are happening all around me that, that are just so hard. I don't understand that verbally you need to be saying verses like Romans 8, 28 and 29. But I know, God, that you've promised me that in all things, it's going to work out for good for those that love you, for those like me who are called according to your purpose. Not only do you need to hear that, but the people around you need to hear that. They need to see in you that trust in God's purpose in your life. People are going to be drawn to Christ by seeing your trust in the way that you look at the bigger picture and the bigger purpose. And God could use ordinary you to change the world because of that. And I'm not saying you're always going to understand it. In fact, I'm telling you, you probably aren't. But God addresses this in his words in the book of Isaiah. And he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God already told us, you're not going to be able to figure this out. You've got to trust. You've got to trust in me. So Joseph knew that he needed to acknowledge the bigger picture, that he needed to acknowledge the bigger purpose, and he also needed to acknowledge the bigger promise of hope. In all the things that he had been through, he knew that there was still hope. Think about what it was like for him when he had been accused by Potiphar's wife and he's thrown in prison and he's with these two guys who've been there a long time. And they're talking and saying, man, this has been so hard, but hey, we had these dreams and he starts to interpret those dreams. But I would think that in that same situation, I would be pretty hopeless. I'm like, look, these guys have been here forever. What's God going to do? How can I find hope in this situation? But Joseph knew to acknowledge that bigger promise of hope. And he knew that God, in his purpose, in the big picture, 
was going to bring everything out good. And he had hope. He never seems to have lost that hope. We never read anything in the account of Joseph in Genesis that gives us even a little glimpse that he lost hope at any point. It's one of the only stories in the Bible that we can say that about. But that's the way it is. Joseph trusted in God through all of those things. And so he knew that this promise of hope was coming. And we know that we can still claim that today because in the New Testament, Ephesians, God says this. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ. A plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And in this, and this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Sounds really familiar to me from what Joseph had to say. We have hope. God gives us that. And says, you have hope because of Christ and because we understand something that Joseph didn't even have a concept of at that time, that hope comes through the cross of Christ and his resurrection telling us that God can be victorious over all the stuff in our lives. And I don't even want to begin to sound like I know what you're going through. I don't know most of you very well at all, but I'm sure in this room today, there are people that are really struggling with some things. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you're feeling pressure from work. Maybe you're in a relationship that isn't going the way that you hoped it would. Maybe in all of this, you're just really depressed and can't figure out why. I, I don't know why, but I trust in the purpose that God has for you. That's the promise that we find in a verse like this. Joseph knew um, that in order to make all of this work in his life, in order to see the bigger picture, the bigger purpose, and not lose sight of hope, that he had to do a big thing that may be what is weighing on your heart today. And um, that is he had to forgive his brothers. And if you remember back in that first passage that we read today, it said that when Joseph got that note from his brothers, he wept. And part of the reason he wept at that time was that he knew he had forgiven them a long time ago. And because of that forgiveness that he had given them, that is what led him to be able to see the bigger, the bigger picture, the bigger purpose, and the bigger hope and the promise of hope in those things. So how do we in any way find hope? Well, God tells us it's right here. In the first chapter of Colossians, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, it says, The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Where is the hope? Christ in you is where the hope of glory lies. It's not something that you have to run after. It's not something that is just out of your reach. It is something that God says lives in every believer. We have hope because of Jesus. Christ in us, Christ living through us is where the hope of glory comes from. But you may say, okay, I get all that. But how do I work this out? You know, those are some great things you've talked about, but I need some practicality here. How do I see the bigger picture, the bigger purpose, the bigger promise of hope, and understand that Christ in me is the hope of glory? And I think, again, we go back to Scripture every time. And Hebrews 12.2 says this, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So how do we do all of this? We come back and we fix our eyes on Jesus. We look at his word we sing his praises, we speak the power of scripture and say in those difficult, difficult times when you're saying, God, this is a crazy hand. Why in the world would you ever give this to me? You stop and think there is a bigger picture. And in me, even though things seem terribly hopeless, I know that I'm looking at Jesus, looking at the cross and thinking because of that, the hope of glory is right here. I don't have to search for it. I don't have to go places to find it. You've promised me that hope lives in me every day, and I'm going to fix my eyes on you. So if there's one thing I really think we need to take away from this is you can't choose the cards that you're dealt, but you can choose how to play them. And maybe you're at a point right now where you have tried to play those cards on your own over and over and over again. And God's saying, it's time for you to fold. Put those cards in here and let me have control. You stop trying to play these. And if that's where you are today, I just urge you to take that step. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult, whether that is for the very first time, saying, God, here you go. Take control so I can understand the bigger picture, the bigger purpose, the biggest, bigger promise of hope. And you say, this is the day that I'm going to mark as the day that I begin to let God be the boss of my life. Or if you're a Christian and you have let your gaze get off of Jesus, and you could say, I know that I have not been fixing my eyes on Jesus. This could be the time for you to say, God, bring me back. Take these cards. I know I'm not going to understand them, but help me to believe in what your picture, purpose, and promises are. And help me to trust you, even though I don't understand. Help me to take the cards that you dealt to me and play them the way you would have me play. Let's pray together. Father God, 
as I've been looking at and studying and thinking about Joseph all week, Lord, there have been so many moments that you've revealed what the picture and the purpose was for things that have happened in my life. And God, I just acknowledge that over the past few months, I've been blown away by those things. Lord, today I pray that each one of us in this room would hold on to the promise of hope. Help us to say with our mouths and live with our lives the truth that no matter what happens, we have hope in you. God, I pray for those times that the enemy tries to distract us and pull us away from that hope, that you would bring us back to fixing our eyes on you and helping us to remember that your promise is it's all going to work out. No matter what those cards look like now, the bigger picture is going to be good. God, I pray that you would just be with each one of us. Let us look at the cards that we've been dealt and see them not with our eyes, but with yours. Help us to live a life that will draw others to you. In Jesus' name, amen.